you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. where a man can live his life full measure. It forms the basis of one of the most unique stories we've ever told on The Twilight Zone. Mr. James Daly stars next week in A Stop at Willoughby, and friends, if this one doesn't haunt you, you simply have no hearts. See you next week in The Twilight Zone. That was the wording for the original trailer of one of the most beloved and iconic episodes of The Twilight Zone, and it needs no further introduction from me, so let's take a look at tonight's episode, A Stop at Willoughby. This is Gart Williams, age 38, a man protected by a suit of armor all held together by one bolt. Just a moment ago, someone removed the bolt, and Mr. Williams' protection fell away from him and left him a naked target. He's been cannonaded this afternoon by all the enemies of his life. His insecurity has shelled him. His sensitivity has straddled him with humiliation. His deep-rooted disquiet about his own worth has zeroed in on him, landed on target, and blown him apart. Mr. Gard Williams, ad agency exec, who in just a moment will move into the twilight zone in a desperate search for survival. First broadcast on the 6th of May 1960, written by Rod Serling and directed by Robert Parrish. Now Robert Parrish directed the second episode of The Twilight Zone, One for the Angels, and would go on to direct The Mighty Casey as well. I've got absolutely no recollection of whether I spoke about him much in the One for the Angels episode, so for fear of repeating myself I'll just say that Apart from being a director, he was also an Academy Award-winning editor. He was an actor too, and when he was a child, he appeared in Charlie Chaplin's City of Lights in 1931. Now this episode, A Stop at Willoughby, was originally conceived as the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone, but scheduling stopped that from happening, and, you know, I wonder how it would have been received at that time bit more of a sophisticated story than Where Is Everybody? I think there's a lot more going on in Willoughby, a lot more subtext, that sort of thing, some quite strong themes, but, you know, by now the audience will be a bit more used to that, a bit more used to the kind of language that Sailing used and so on. So would it have played as well as the pilot? I don't know, but, you know, saying that Rod Sailing was all about trusting his audience and crediting them with some intelligence, so, you know, I'm sure it would have been just fine. A Stop at Willoughby is the story of Gart Williams, who works in a high-pressure job handling big-money accounts, but he seems to be reaching the end of his tether. When we first meet him, he's at a meeting with his boss and some other colleagues. 
and already we can see that the pressure of the situation is getting to him. It would seem that he's responsible for some kind of business decision that involves another employee, but that person absconds and takes an important account with them. His boss, Mr. Miserable, quite a repellent man, played by Howard Smith, is an old cigar-chomping businessman. And he's all about push, push, push. And after a few minutes in his company, you can see why Gott Williams can't stand him. So what's left, Williams? Not only has your pet project backfired, but it sprouted wings and left the premises. I'll tell you what's left to us, in my view. A deep and abiding concern about your judgment in men. This is a push business, Williams. A push, push, push business. Push and drive. But personally, you don't delegate responsibilities to little boys. You should know it better than anyone else. A push, push, push business, Williams. It's push, push, push all the way, all the time. It's push, push, push all the way, all the time, right on down the line. Fat boy, why don't you shut your mouth? On the way home, Williams gets his train, as usual, but he falls asleep, and when he wakes up, the train is different, the conductor is different, and he's stopped at a stop that he's never heard of before. Willoughby. right outside. Oh, wait a minute. What's going on? There's no stop on this line called Willoughby. And look at it outside. The sun is out. It's summer. That's what she is. Mid-July. A real warm one, too. Wait a minute. It's November. What's going on here anyway? It's November. Where is this place? Where is Willoughby? Willoughby, sir? That's Willoughby right outside. Willoughby. July. Summer. It's 1888. Really a lovely little village. You ought to try it sometime. Peaceful, restful, where a man can slow down to a walk and live his life full measure. What I like about the introduction of Willoughby and its subsequent visits later on in the episode is that each time a little bit more is revealed. And this first time we really don't see much of Willoughby as such, but immediately when we're there the atmosphere of the episode just lifts. A lot of that is to do with the music, the way it just changes into this beautiful sort of serene music. But I think it's one of the, you know, the great triumphs of the episode, that it really conveys that peace and serenity that is such a contrast to Gart Williams' usual life. As Gart Williams' shoulders kind of drop and he relaxes when he's in Willoughby, you know, so do ours to a degree. The second main scene that really illustrates what kind of a life Gart Williams has and why he wants to escape so much is the scene where he goes home and he speaks to his wife. She knows what happened in work that day, the way Gart Williams blew up at his boss and uh, put his job at risk, and she's not too happy about it. Oh, I'm tired, Janie. I'm tired, and I'm sick. Well, then you're in the right ward. 
We specialize in people that are sick. And tired, too, Gart. I'm sick, and I'm tired of a husband who lives in a kind of permanent self-pity. A husband with a heart bleeding sensitivity that he unfurls like a flag whenever he decides the competition is, is a little too rough for him. Some people aren't built for competition, Janie. Or big, pretentious houses they can't afford. Or rich communities they don't feel comfortable in. Or country clubs they wear around their neck like a badge of status. And you would prefer? I would prefer, though never asked before, a job, any job, any job at all where I could be myself. Where I wouldn't have to climb on a stage and go through a masquerade every morning at 9 o'clock. And mouth all the dialogue and play the executive and make believe I'm the bright young man who's on his way up because I'm not that person, Janie. You've tried to make me that person, but that isn't me. That isn't me at all. I'm... I'm a nut very young, soon to be old. Very uncompetitive, rather dull, quite uninspired, average-type guy. With a wife who has an appetite. And just where would you be if it weren't for my appetite? I know where I'd like to be. Where's that? A place called Willoughby. Some good sharp dialogue here, I think, from Rod Sailing in this scene. Gort's wife, Janie, is portrayed as very much a social climber, as Gort says she has an appetite. She needs the membership of the country club, that kind of thing, and what we can see from this exchange is that those kind of things mean nothing to Gort. In fact, being in a position to provide them is what's creating this kind of prison for him. Janie Williams is played by Patricia Donahue, and I think she pitched their performance very well. She isn't a caricature like maybe Henry Bemis' wife in Time Enough at Last. You could say that at times the Twilight Zone doesn't really depict the wives of the protagonists in a very appealing light. You know, there is a line of these shrewish females, you know, giving the male leads a hard time in the Twilight Zone. I don't think there's any disrespect on Sailing's part, you know, when writing something like this. You know, you've got 20 or so minutes to tell a story, and this conflict needs to be there. And irrespective of gender, it is a fact that as relationships develop over time, priorities change, people grow apart. And I think this is well portrayed in that regard. And I think overall, despite Rod Sailing being a very ahead of his time thinker in a lot of ways in the way he approached equality and so on. It's still very much a man's world at this time. Not a great deal to mention about Patricia Donahue. She is in keeping with a lot of our Twilight Zone actors, a hard-working television actress. She popped up in, you know, many of those shows that we always mention. I suppose of particular interest to us as uh, Twilight Zone fans is that she appeared in Night Gallery twice. Once in the segment The Dear Departed and the other in the story The Hand of Borgus Weems. She appeared to have retired from acting in the 80s but she lived a long life and uh, sadly she passed away in 2012 at the age of 87. Now we're on the run up to Gart Williams' eventual breakdown his real breakdown when he's at work and things just keep piling up on him 
And I think it's a bit of an acting masterclass here from the actor James Daly. It's essentially this solo scene where he gradually breaks down more and more. Beautifully played and quite heartbreaking at times. Especially when he calls his wife and he's just really reaching out for some help and understanding but gets nothing back in return. And this just strengthens his resolve that next time he stops at Willoughby, he's getting off the train. Janie, there's a guard, honey. I'm coming home. Will you stay there? I just, I just want you to stay there. No, honey, listen, please. I've had it. Understand? I've had it. I, I just can't take this another day, not another hour. This is it right now. I, I, I've got to get out of here. Janie, will you help me, please? Will you please help me? Janie? James Daly plays Gart Williams, and again, he's one of those hard-working actors who hits all those same TV shows that everyone else hits, and, uh, you know, very workmanlike existence at the time. You know, you just went from one thing to the next and then the next, so when we look down his list of credits, there's nothing of real note that sticks out to me. But I don't want to sell him short because if you check his IMDB bio, I think he did a lot of important work at the time and was also an award-winning stage actor. And I really rate him as an actor from this episode, so I can see that he probably did do some wonderful things beyond what I know. He didn't do any more Twilight Zone appearances, but there is one further connection which is my often-mentioned Twilight Zone movie, Planet of the Apes. In that movie, he played one of the apes, Honorius, and there's a famous little exchange that he was part of when Honorius says, Tell us, why are all apes created equal? To which Taylor replies, Some apes, it seems, are more equal than others. Now, sadly, Daly only lived till the age of 59, when he died of a heart attack. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on the story portion of the episode. I think it's impeccably written and leads to, you know, a great climax. And I do enjoy those elements of it, but it's the themes, the subtext, the, the kind of reflection on the episode afterwards that really interests me, other people's reaction to it as well. And that's so that's where we'll spend our time, I think. But but in the meantime, Gart Williams makes sure he falls asleep again on that train and he gets off at Willoughby. Hi, Mr. Williams. Hi, boys. You catch some big ones today, huh? I think tomorrow I'll join you. Plenty of room and lots of fish. Hiya, Mr. Williams. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I've always enjoyed that little touch when he just sort of hesitates for a moment with his briefcase and then throws it on the seat because he knows he won't need it anymore. So, Gart Williams escapes his old high-pressure life for a life of contentment in Willoughby. But our final twist is that in what I would suppose you call the real world, he actually jumped off the train and died, and the Undertakers who come to collect him have the name Willoughby. 
So that's a stop at Willoughby, and I guess where to begin with the aftermath. Maybe a little trivia in the book Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. Martin Grams Jr. says that when the sailing household moved from Ohio to further Rod Sailing's career for teleplay scripting and to be closer to Blanche Gaines in New York, they resided in Westport, Connecticut. The character of Gart Williams was making the same trek Rod himself made personally between New York City and Westport, and Willoughby was the name of a real town in Ohio which Sailing travelled through when commuting from Ohio and New York in his earliest years of writing teleplays. So what was the reaction like to Willoughby? Producer Buck Houghton wrote a memo saying it was Sailing's best script, he said, a good tight step beyond reality script, with a downbeat ending that might be against it. I like it however. I think the moral is worthwhile, and vividly shown. The background of the script is sophisticated, but again, I wonder if its very lack of familiarity with the teenager makes it stronger really. Sailing wrote to a viewer who had written to him, querying the ending, and Sailing said, I thought it was a piece of delightful irony that I had planned in the beginning. What constitutes delightful irony for me is often not received in a similar fashion by others. Now, Stop at Willoughby was actually remade as a television movie in 2000, and that's called For All Time. its I don't think it's on DVD or Blu-ray at the moment, but it's easy to find out there on the internet if you were so inclined and actually want to watch it. I did start to watch it, but it just had a bit of a TV movie kind of feel about it, you know, a certain look and feel that I just couldn't really get on board with. Um, so I didn't watch it in its entirety. From from what I understand, the main character has numerous visits back in time, not in the same way Gart Williams did. The main character is called Charles Latimer, and he had an antique watch which comes into his possession that allows him to get off his regular train during a time slip and he finds himself back in the 1890s. So from what I can gather without actually having watched it, um, his visits are a bit more involved than Gart Williams' visits are. Latimer spends more time there and builds up relationships and so on and uh, I think actually falls in love while he's in the past. So, you know, it's out there if you want to track it down, and maybe one day I will give it another try if I've got some free time. Now, the actual town of Willoughby, the real town itself, is quite proud of their association with the episode and the idea that Willoughby is a pleasant and peaceful place to live. And if you want to learn more about the actual town itself, you can go to their website, heartofwillaby.com. And I think they have a yearly festival called Last Stop Willoughby as well. Now one possible influence, you know, maybe it's just me. I'm not saying there's a definite connection there. It might just be coincidence, but the British TV show uh, Life on Mars very much puts me in mind of Willoughby. If you watch the whole thing, I won't say more than that, you know, because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen the show, but it's been out for a few years now and should be quite easy to track down, so... Definitely worth a watch, see if you agree. Before I go on to my final thoughts about the episode, a couple of friends of the show have sent some clips in to share their thoughts. So so first, let's go with Fred from the Twilight Pwn podcast. Now, I've spoke about that podcast before. 
they do Twilight Zone episodes, obviously. They do it in a different order than I do. They're not going sequentially. And it's a bit more lighthearted, but still, you know, very insightful at times as well. Well worth a listen. I enjoy it quite a bit. So I'll hand you over to Fred. Hey, Tom. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. This is Fred from another Twilight Zone podcast, uh, The Twilight Pwn. I just wanted to get in a quick uh, thought on uh, Stop at Willoughby. I'm sure you've probably done some comparing between this one and its close cousin Twilight Zone episode, Walking Distance. Wanted to say firmly camp Walking Distance. I think it's just so much of a better episode. I think the directing of Walking Distance is subtle and cinematic, and the score is gorgeous, and the performances are, are also more subtle and very real, whereas I think Willoughby is kind of a little over the top. In particular, the, the ending of Walking Distance to me is so much better. You know, both episodes have these, I think they're both like 36-year-old businessmen who indulge in nostalgia or escapism, and they're both punished for it. But I think in Walking Distance, you know, the punishment really fits the crime. He gets like a light rap on the knuckles. He gets this limp. Whereas in The Stop at Willoughby, I mean, Serling axes the guy for indulging in very understandable, you know, fantasies about escaping his harried life. And I think, it, you know, the punishment just doesn't fit the crime. It's just too extreme. And, and in that situation, it almost it, it almost makes me laugh at the end when, when the guy dies because it's just, you know, he's being punished so far beyond his infraction. So for a lot of reasons, but in particular the ending, Walking Distance, to me, is the, you know, the uh, Twilight Zone episode about a harried 36-year-old businessman escaping his workaday life par excellence. The real, real connoisseur's choice. So I uh, just wanted to get that in there. Love the podcast. Keep doing it. I'll keep listening. And that's it. Fred out. You know, this is why I love getting people's feedback on the Twilight Zone podcast, because it generally throws up things that I haven't considered myself, or different viewpoints, that sort of thing. I find that very interesting, Fred, the way you you know you kind of see Gart Williams' fate as a punishment, because you're right, a, a lot of Twilight Zone episodes tend to have these finales where there is some sort of gentle punishment or harsh punishment in, in a lot of cases for the kind of life the person lives and so on. I, th- I think where I disagree is that I've never really seen this as one of those episodes where Gart Williams is being punished as such, you know. The Twilight Zone itself, whatever that is, for me, it, it can be something that can punish people. It, it's also something that can give back to people in some ways as well and I think I guess I'll go into it further down the line but I never really saw it as a punishment I I saw it as possibly an escape if at all there is any unknown quantity at work in this story anyway and it's not just the main character's delusions you know I guess that's all there for interpretation and I'll go into that a bit further on but no that was some great feedback fred thanks very much i appreciate it and everyone check out the twilight poem um now we've got another piece of feedback too from luke owen a long time friend of the podcast you heard him on the episode when chris and i uh, spoke about twilight zone the movie uh, that was about a year or so ago now and let's hear what he has to say about a stop at willoughby hi tom hope this finds you well Just wanted to say a quick thank you for everything you've done on this podcast. You've really created something here very special, mate. As many of you will have already noted, A Stop at Willoughby is a good companion piece for walking distance, which, as you might recall, I don't hold in quite such high regard as many do. A Stop at Willoughby, however, is an episode that I really, really like. 
sadly many of us myself included are part of the rat race just looking for a way out and i feel a lot of sympathy for mr williams which i think is one of the reasons why the episode resonates with me so much now my dream world of escapism might not be like willoughby i'm not sure i could go without my ipad or the internet in general but zerling presents us with the idea that we all have our own unique and idiosyncratic paradises which we can escape to while we do the daily grind of life and i think that's really nice you know of course, it doesn't quite work out nicely for Mr. Williams, and I guess that's the Serling way of telling us that escape is fine, so long as you stay in the real world. I have to say that I love that twist at the end. I'm not sure it'll be remembered like to serve man arrive the beholder in the grand scheme of things, but it's a really nice little swerve that makes you go, ah, very clever. And I always like those endings in the Twilight Zone, so this one is uh, it's a really good episode for me. Anyway, just wanted to drop my thoughts on this episode and to say thanks for all your hard work. And I think I speak for everyone of the Twilight Zone podcast fan base when I say you are our version of Rod Serling. Thanks very much, mate. Speak soon. Well, thank you, Luke. That's high praise indeed. I don't think there's any better praise than that for someone doing a Twilight Zone podcast. So thank you again. You know, another different viewpoint, different from Fred's. Um, but it's all there in that episode, you know. There's, I think you can see it in different ways, de- depending on your viewpoint. And uh, I think for me, as both of our friends have mentioned, it does share a lot of DNA with Walking Distance. Um, I feel it's actually a kind of trilogy with Walking Distance and the Night Gallery episode, they're tearing down Tim Riley's bar. It's about getting to that point in life where you are a bit older, you're slowing down, and your priorities change when you're younger. You know, you might want that high-flying, fast-moving career, and you might be motivated by the wealth that it can bring, but then when you're older and wiser, you can reevaluate that and reevaluate what's important. And sometimes what's important is actually spending the time you have more wisely taking time to stop and smell the roses you know because as time gets shorter i suppose you value it more so you don't want to be just a part of the rat race a part of the machine kind of thing you want to be doing all those other things and then spending that time the best you can i'm not one to attach too much meaning to something and i don't want to get too political either but I do feel that a stop at Willoughby is probably more relevant now than it ever has been. We live in a time that does seem to be all push, push, push. And I do recall when I was younger working in a shop and it was part of a large chain of stores. And every year the the shop was given a target, the money they had to make and so on. And the target was they had to beat the sales and the profits of the previous year by a certain amount. If it didn't, then they'd start to look at that shop and its staff and begin asking, well, what's wrong? So why didn't you make as much money as last year? Why didn't you make more money? That sort of thing. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, where does that kind of thinking end when you are constantly kind of inflating the bubble, if you like, year after year, it has to go more and more and more. You know, you can only blow so much air into the balloon before it bursts. If we take this year, for example, I I remember sitting watching the news after New Year and there was a news story on about how much the big chain stores had made in profits compared to the previous year. 
and there were all of these big companies that had dropped one or two percent profit from the previous year and they and they spoke about this like it was some sort of failure you know these companies were still making millions and millions of pounds in profit but they considered a one or two percent drop as a failure now i know for a company of the size that we're talking about here one or two percent is going to be a lot of money but I, I still think if this is the thinking if this is how progress is measured where it's all just push 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 the real cost in the end is the human cost you know the government we have in england at the moment the coalition are always talking about making this country a place for doers and go-getters the ones who want to go out and do big things but what about the ones who just want to find their place in the world and stay there the ones who want to go out and do their day's work but still have the time to enjoy the small pleasures in life you know it's not about the big things it's it's the small pleasures you know walk in the park sitting down on the grass to read a book Wh whatever is your thing whatever you want to do you know i'm not naive i you know i know we can't all live in willoughby kind of thing but I, I think in this day and age there is too much emphasis on progress in the form of profit where what we really should be striving for is balance. I might be thinking back to a time that never truly existed, but if you think of maybe a small town as the model, where you have a butcher, a grocer, a baker, and so on, all these stores owned by local people, everyone is everyone else's customer. You know, the baker buys from the butcher, the butcher buys from the baker, the grocer buys from the farmer down the road. You know, the money circulates, the money goes around. But now it just seems that the money just goes upwards. It goes to the corporations that put those little stores out of business. And I guess we all play our part in that. Like I say, I'm not naive. I know we can't all live in our own little Willoughby's. The, the world just isn't made that way. But... You know, I think there has to be a better way, you know, striving for that balance rather than that profit. So I think that's why Willoughby is still a very relevant episode of The Twilight Zone. Life does need to slow down a bit and it's not easy to make the right decisions sometimes because we do change as people when we go through life. The choices we make when we're younger may seem to be right at the time, but then all of a sudden you can find yourself trapped in a life you don't want anymore. But it's not that easy to change because you have bills to pay, you have responsibilities. Rod Serling said it all in one line earlier on in the show. How are you tonight, Mr. Williams? In the absolute pink. Cold winter this year. Seems to get darker earlier than it ever has. Well, that's the way of the world. The rich get richer. And the days get shorter. That's right. Now, Gart Williams escaped to Willoughby, and when you hear Rod Serling's original closing narration, it's much darker than the one that ended up being used. It originally went like this. Mr. Gart Williams, who sought respite from a torment under a gravestone, who climbed on a world that went by too fast and then jumped off. Mr. Gart Williams, who might now tell us what awaits us in the beyond, because this too is part of the Twilight Zone. Now that suggests to me that Gart, Gart Williams didn't end up in a beautiful little town called Willoughby. He actually committed suicide. You know, I, I think that's a bit more definite in that closing narration 
whereas the one that we actually got is actually a bit more open to interpretation. I think it is interesting that although Willoughby, it is one of the most beloved Twilight Zone episodes, I don't think it perhaps breaks through into pop culture like say Time Enough at Last or Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And I wonder whether that is because, partially because it is a very downbeat ending, but there is that very obvious suggestion that Gart Williams just committed suicide. You know, he actually mentions it in his frustration earlier on when he said that he wanted a sharp razor and a chart of anatomy. But not only did he commit suicide, but his escape from his stressful, unhappy life is shown to us from the point of view as an escape to serenity and happiness. So Rod Serling's sneaking in some very big questions under the radar here into a mainstream TV show. Was Willoughby some sort of delusion brought on by the breakdown? Was it the Twilight Zone reaching out to him and offering him an escape? An escape that looks like death to us, but to him is an escape to another reality, another time. You know, I would like to think it was the latter, but I fear that it was actually the former. You know, I don't think the episode gives us answers, but like many of the best Twilight Zone episodes, I don't feel cheated by the ambiguity. So I think for us, I'll leave it there. That'll be the end of our discussion about to stop at Willoughby. But I'm afraid that when that train pulls into Willoughby Station this time, Gart Williams won't be the only one getting off. Willoughby, maybe it's wishful thinking nestled in a hidden part of a man's mind. Or maybe it's the last stop in the vast design of things. Or perhaps for a man like Mr. Gart Williams, who climbed on a world that went by too fast, it's a place around the bend where he could jump off. Willoughby, whatever it is, it comes with sunlight and serenity and is a part of the Twilight Zone. I rarely talk about myself on the Twilight Zone podcast, but I'm going to, if you will indulge me for a moment, there are a couple of things that I need to uh, to speak about. A little history lesson first. When I, uh, when I started the Twilight Zone podcast, I'd been a horror podcaster for quite some time. I was writing for Scream magazine, which I still do uh, here in the UK. I was looking for something a bit different, something that I could put that kind of passion into that I had been plowing into horror movies and that kind of thing. Now, at the time, I don't think there was any Twilight Zone podcasts going. There may have been one, I'm not too sure, but there didn't seem to be any in this format. For me, I looked up at my bookshelf one day and there was all these Twilight Zone DVDs there that I never got to watch because I was too busy watching horror movies and writing about those and podcasting about those. So I thought, you know what, this would be a good chance to dig into those and bring something new and a little fresh to podcasting and, you know, go through these episodes. And uh, that must be about three or four years ago now. The way I wanted to do it was... I remembered watching these episodes when I was younger and it would always be at, you know, midnight, two o'clock in the morning, that kind of thing. It was very much connected with the night time and I wanted the Twilight Zone podcast to have that very midnight radio vibe. I liked the idea of people 
you know, sitting back at night and listening to this podcast uh, in that way, the same way that I actually watched The Twilight Zone. For me, it's been a great example of what you can do when you approach something with passion and reach out to other people because the good feedback I've gotten, not only on iTunes, but from people emailing me and saying thanks for the podcast or I've started watching The Twilight Zone again because of the podcast and that sort of thing. You know, you can't really measure how much I appreciate that and also the opportunities that The Twilight Zone podcast has given me. You know, speaking with Mark Zickery, speaking with uh, Jason and Sonny Brock when they made the uh, when they made the Charles Bowman documentary, uh, and I guess to cap it all off, something I'll never forget is being able to speak to Anne Serling and speak to her about a book that she wrote about her father, and to have her thank me, saying thanks for all you do to keep my father's legacy alive. I just. You know, that kind of thing just blows me away. So, you know, when you do approach things with passion and you, you reach out to people, good things can happen, which is which is what I'm really appreciative of with the Twilight Zone podcast. Sadly, though, as you know, it's not been easy for me to do this podcast of late. You know, I, I sit and speak to you now with an almost completely different life than the one I had three or four years ago. Uh, when I started the podcast and that's a good thing you know the changes were positive I don't mind saying I might not have cracked up like Gar Williams did but I was very much the guy sitting in that job that he hated day after day you know and living a life without spending eight hours a day doing something I didn't want to do so it was a time for change which I did and it's worked out really well but the knock-on effect of that has been that in the life I have now I don't have that time anymore where I can put out a weekly or even fortnightly podcast. You know, I've been putting out episodes with months between them and if I had been on my original schedule I would have finished this by now and I'd be sitting back looking back on this body of work all these Twilight Zone episodes which is what I always hope to do be able to sit back and say I did that, you know, I did all those episodes of The Twilight Zone and if you want to go on that journey with me, they're there for you to check out too. That was all, always my hope with this. So I figured even though my time was at a premium, I would figure out some way of making it work. But I, I think there comes a time when you have to say that it's just not working out. So I'm sad to say that this will be my final Twilight Zone podcast. But not the final Twilight Zone podcast. You know, like I say, this podcast, it was never about me. It wasn't about my journey through the Twilight Zone. It was about the Twilight Zone. And I'm just the one who's been bringing these episodes to you so far. But I think my time is done now and it's time to pass it on to someone who can give it that time it deserves. If I was to carry on doing this at the rate I'm going now, I would be finished when I'm 90 years old. You know, it's just taken too long. So I'm going to pass it on to someone else to carry on. He's been a friend to the show since the beginning. He joined Chris and I, as I mentioned before, on that episode where we talked about Twilight Zone the movie. And you heard him earlier give some feedback. He has a passion for the Twilight Zone that equals, if not exceeds my own. 
and that's Luke Owen. I've heard his first episode of The Twilight Zone, we've been talking about this for a while now and he's put together an episode just to show that he was the right person to do it and he did, it's great, it's really well done and I think really fresh, you know. I wouldn't hand this over to someone who I didn't think could do it justice because it's too important to me. I would rather plug away till I'm 90 than hand it over to someone who couldn't do the job and Luke more than does the job. Um, So I wish him all the best and I I hope the listeners will give him the same support and goodwill that you've given to me. You know, it's not easy taking over from someone in an established thing, so I think he's very brave to do that. Um, But I think once you hear him do it, you will be you'll be happy that he's doing it. Whereas I would have been, I would have loved to have been the one who brought this to you to its conclusion. You've got to balance these things up, you know. It's going to take me forever. But I'm happy that now someone else is taking it on and I will be able to sit back as a listener and enjoy the show um, in the way that hopefully you have when I've been presenting it. I would just like to offer my sincere thanks to everyone who's listened, to everyone who's posted feedback on iTunes, and to everyone who's supported me and Chris over on the Night Gallery podcast. He's moved on to the Video Nasties podcast, which is a great show as well. I really enjoy that. Special thanks to the artist Darking One, one of the unsung heroes of the podcast. He'd done all the graphics and so on. He's the one who's given us a website that looks good, looks professional, that people can go and visit and check out. Uh, so always thanks to him. He's a good friend and a good collaborator. But above all, thanks to you, the listeners. The the listener figures have always been fantastic. It was a podcast that really took off from the get-go. And what I hope going forward, now that Luke is going to be doing these shows, is that we can really build up that kind of listener feedback type thing. Um, It was something that I got in fits and starts, but I I blame myself because if you're only putting out, you know, three shows a year, there's no momentum to that, so people don't tend to regularly get involved. And I think you've heard today with the feedback that Fred and Luke gave how much that adds to the podcast. So hopefully Luke can get that kind of... uh, thing going and you know everyone's always welcome to put their views in i get a lot of people emailing me how much they love the podcast which is great and if we can have that sort of what people think about the upcoming episodes and add that kind of backwards and forwards between the audience and the presenter i think that's a brilliant thing so you can email luke at luke at the twilight zone network.com with your thoughts and feedback His next episode is going to be The Chaser. Like I say, I've heard it. It's a good one. And I wish him all the best. So I'm not going to stay any longer. I'll be around in podcast land in one way or another. It seems to be that once once you start doing this, you can never truly stop. But it's going to be something more fitting to my kind of sporadic schedule. Something that I can actually get done. So that'll be out there, and I'm sure if you follow me on Twitter or you're on the Facebook page, then I will announce that down the line. But for now, once again, thank you everyone. I've enjoyed doing this, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. And I will see you in the future, in the Twilight Zone.
Willoughby. The stop is Willoughby. Willoughby. The stop is Willoughby. Willoughby, sir. Willoughby? Yes, sir. Willoughby. Willoughby. All out for Willoughby. Willoughby. The stop is Willoughby.